1: It's Rick Tittle!
2: Hey, how, how, how are you? Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It is Sports Byline USA. It's a Friday edition, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. How do I do that, you may ask yourself. Well, you can do that for yourself and for all of us Americans. 1-800-878-PLAY. one 800 878 7529. Get you in and get you heard wherever you might happen to be listening to this great land of ours. Okay, foreign lands. Remember, Fridays, and today is no different. We check in in the first hour with film critic Jan Wall, and we have entertainment guests. We have Danny Wu for his documentary, American, an Odyssey to 1947. We also have writer-director Alexander McGregor Burrell for his film, The Latent Image, and Tony winning Best Actress in a musical, which just happened last year, Joaquina Kalakango for the world premiere recording of *Wild About You*. In the second hour, Doug and Emmy Joe Momery. That's Doug and Emmy Joe of the New Zoo Review. It's the New Zoo Review. Come and ride right at you. Yes, they're still with us, and they'll be on the show. Jay Farrell, hilarious comedian. He returns at 1040, of course, on Saturday Night Live. He's at Helium St. Louis. Carmine Marino joins us once again on a Friday to talk about summer racing as that's winding down, but there's still a lot of ponies you can throw some money at. And Tim Flannery, Flan himself, uh, the dessert and the third base coach, longtime Bruce Bochy buddy, he's here to talk about his upcoming concert at uh, Hot Monk uh, in Nevada. So, in between all that, we will get to your calls as well. One 878 play. Looks like Cal and Stanford and SMU are all going to the ACC. We'll have to talk about that uh, in the show as well. Uh, tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app, Twitch.tv. There I am. How you doing? An American Forces Radio Network worldwide. Big supporter of our troops. You're doing a great job. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back. Wake up, people. You are optimizing every waking hour of your life. From carpooling kids, to
3: work, to friends, and everything in between. You have to get sleep. And a bed that can perform as well as you do. Meet the next generation Sleep Number Smart Bed. It effortlessly adjusts to your shape, position, and movements. Learning how you sleep, so you learn to sleep better. Night after
2: night.
4: Sleep Next Level, only from Sleep Number. Don't miss our Labor Day special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed. Plus free delivery when you add a base. Ends Labor Day.
5: out to file your claim. So if you've been diagnosed with cancer and you've used Roundup, call the legal helpline now. You could receive a free cash award and have your medical expenses covered. And time to file is almost gone, so please call right
0: now. 800-535-6078. 800-535-6078. 800-535-6078. That's 800-535-6078. 800 433 0539. 800 433 0539. 800 433 0539. That's 800 433 0539. Paid for by Fix My Student Loans.
2: All right. Thank you for that. And welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. On Fridays, we're always uh, very happy to bring in our good friend, the Hollywood Insider and film critic Jan Wall with us as we take a look at some very interesting guests from the entertainment world. How you doing, Janie?
8: I'm doing great, Rick. What's up with you this Labor Day weekend?
2: Oh, well, we're getting ready to go to our first guest. It is director Danny Wu. He has a brand-new cool. film called American, colon, an odyssey to 1947. And uh, this will be a theatrical re- theatrical release on uh, next Friday and September 12th on uh, digital. This has been in some... Uh, uh, film festivals and very well received so far. Danny, welcome to the show. Take us a little bit through the, uh, the title. It's very interesting, American and Odyssey to 1947.
9: Well, thank you for having me on your show, Rick. Um, so the title, American and Odyssey to 1947, it's a collection of stories that leads you to the year 1947. And it's notably about um, the political evolution of Hollywood director Orson Welles and its interweaves with two other stories.
8: Oh, that is so fascinating. This is Jan Wall. I can't wait to see it, Danny. Tell me why you chose Orson Welles.
9: Well, he's just such a fascinating character, Jan. Um, You know, when you first look into film, Citizen Kane, I'm sure, is the film that everyone studies. And it intrigued me so much that this person, this director, for his first film, he made arguably the greatest film ever made,
10: and he never had
9: that freedom again. So, I just wanted to explore all the factors that drove him to 1947 when he basically self exiled from the United States. What,
2: wow. what was the reason behind that? I'm sure there were a myriad reasons, but how, how did you sort of see it?
9: How I sort of see it? Well, there's a. If you ask like five different Orson Welles scholars, you're probably going to get five different answers, <laughs> right? But uh, I think for me, the the film kind of goes into an argument for each of the different reasons that led to it that, you know, cause he would ne- he never gave uh, a straight answer about it, but definitely the political tension of the time. Um, if you watch the section on Isaac Woodard, that, that, that part will become clear. You know, the FBI is involved in it. It's a, uh, it's a, the, the work opportunity. So, um, there's a lot of reasons that led into that.
8: Wow. Well, William Randolph Hearst, uh, Lou and yes. all of that. Yeah, no, that's actually
9: what um, got me into this film. Um, I wanted to tell the story of Orson and William Randolph Hearst. Um, so that's, that's basically like the first half of the story. It's Orson Welles battling William Randolph Hearst. Um, that's the first half. And in the second half, the tone kind of shifts into this reality of America where we kind of go into other stories at the time and in the political atmosphere of that era.
2: You know, can you talk about the two, I don't want to say two different careers, because sometimes, you know, you get like like John Travolta, it seems like he's had four different careers, but Orson Welles, when I was a kid in the 70s, he was the big fat guy on Johnny Carson, and Johnny, you know, John Candy made fun of him on SCTV, but then you go back, and he's slim, he's handsome, he's a good actor, and of course, you talk about as a director, just the dichotomy between those sort of two, almost like an Elvis persona, fat and skinny before
9: it's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, if you watch Citizen Kane, that kind of, a lot of people would argue that that kind of parallels Orson's life himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in our film, we, we kind of try to show the different sides of Orson Welles that people, people might not have known because he was very, very politically involved. Um, he spoke up for racial injustice. And that's one of the big reasons that he actually had to exile from the United States, because he put a big target on his back for being one of the Mm -hmm. first civil rights activists at that time.
8: Mm. You know, Citizen Kane is everything in terms of it's relevant to today with Trump, definitely. It's the Mm -hmm. idea of someone who is completely bankrupt internally, but has everything, everything on the outside very wealthy completely materialistic um and really vacant in terms of morality yet uh charismatic i mean it's got a lot of relevance to today don't you think
9: it is it, it is and um that's kind of that's one of the again <laughs> another reason that i really want to make this film because when i read about Orson's story i watched citizen kane i found out that I found out more about his story i'm like why? Because I'm 27 years old, and most people my age, we don't really know the story of Orson and William Randolph first and Citizen Kane. So at first, I kind of wanted to make a film to um, just teach people about uh, what happened in that era. But obviously, uh, when I learned more about it, it grew more and more to become a film about these three people's stories.
2: I don't know if you got into this at all, but I remember when I was studying journalism in college, had this law and public policy of communication, and they talked a lot about War of the Worlds and about how... Yes. Yeah, so what was your take on the, the whole thing between if you're dumb enough to believe it, that's on you, but on the other hand, you can't go scare everybody and create a riot?
9: Well, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of cool that we're talking on the radio right now about War of the mm-hmm. Worlds, um, because yeah, okay. Orson Welles is a pioneer of radio, right? Um, his Mercury Theater Productions... Uh, was one of the, because back in the day when you would listen to a show on the radio, it, the, the idea was to put you in the seat of, of a, a play. But Orson, he, he was like, no, we gotta immerse the audience in the radio. You know, we gotta make it like a play so that they could hear it and have an experience on their own. And so when the War of the Worlds happens with people that don't know the story, um, Orson Welles basically directed the radio um, show War of the Worlds. A lot of people tuned into it and they thought that there was an actual Martian invasion happening and it caused a national stir. That was a, such a big, big story at the time. Orson got disciplined for it. And he was actually quoted. Um, we, we, we have this in the film. I think it's the first time someone said this in a film. We, he, Orson was quoted by Hitler.
7: <laughs>
9: Hitler used world the world as an example of why democracy is not a good thing.
8: Wow. Oh, man, that must have been hard on Orson. But, you know, these sound effects, the actors, you know, this wonderful ensemble of people that he used, their enormous technology uh, that seems nothing to us today, but they were so creative. I mean, it really made it sound real that these Martians, were they Martians
9: or they were? Yeah, they were were Martians. Yes, it's uh, his, his Mercury, the people who were in his radio were his Mercury theater players. And he had one division for theater, one division for radio. And when, he, when War of the Worlds propelled him, you know, he got disciplined a little bit, but it actually propelled him to international fame. That's how he got his start in Hollywood, right? They were, people were making offers for him. This is the greatest storyteller of our generation. We wanted this guy in Hollywood. So they made their offers to Orson Welles, and he wanted to bring all his Mercury players into Hollywood. And he did, you know? So I think that was just such a fascinating story to me.
2: Last question for you. You know, I was like you. I was a, a student of broadcasting and film, and everyone's like, oh, this guy's a genius. So I had one eyebrow raised. I'm like, eh, what's so great about this guy? Did you kind of approach that yourself and then see, like, oh, yeah, they were right?
9: I think, I think it's a little bit different for me because I didn't go to film school. I actually watched Citizen Kane first and was just blown away by it. Um, I thought uh-huh. for that it, even to today, it was so innovative in its oh. story structure. And so when I learned more about, you know, how this one guy directed it, produced it, um, right. starred in it, and wrote it, co-wrote it, right. you know, it's, it, it kind of, I came, I came to that conclusion a bit on my own. I really didn't hear much about Orson Welles being a genius and stuff like that, but, uh, but I think that it's, for, for me, uh, I think his track record kind of speaks for itself on that first film.
2: Great stuff from director Danny Wu. It's called American, an Odyssey to 1947. It'll be opening in New York Theaters next Friday and video on demand on September 12th. Danny, congratulations on the film. Fabulous, Danny. Thank you you so much for having me, Rick and Jen. All right, good stuff. We'll keep it going. Jenny on the other side with another movie. Rick Tuttle and Jen Wall, come on back.
0: That's 800-788-1495.
12: I don't even recognize myself anymore. I'm really worried about him.
13: His addiction. I haven't seen him like this. Ever.
12: Hey, look, I I never wanted to start using. I, I knew the drill, but I was out of options.
13: I just want to tell him it's not your fault. There are people out there who can help.
0: That's 800-378-3508. Paid for by the Detox and Treatment Helpline. it's a free call so let us fix it for you 855-325-5647 855-325-5647 855-325-5647 that's 855-325-5647
2: I'm not insightful enough to be a movie critic maybe I could be a food critic these muffins taste bad or an art critic that painting is bad
14: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
2: All right. Thanks, I guess. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle and Jan Wall with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show writer-director Alexander McGregor Burrell has a brand new movie from Cinephobia releasing. It's called The Leighton Image, and it'll be making its U.S. debut Thursday at the Lumiere Music Hall in Los Angeles, Alexander, welcome to the show. I know this premiered at uh, Soho in London at the Horror Film Festival. That must have been a, a complete thrill.
15: Hi, Darren. Yes, it really was the uh, the Soho Festival was something pretty special. It was last November uh, and it was one of those audiences, you know a dedicated horror crowd uh, who sort of really appreciated the film and um, yeah, it was a great experience
8: This is Jan well, what <laughs> Alexander, in this genre, was it Hitchcock? Was it who talked to you
15: in this way? Um, well, to be honest, I actually began with the uh, sort of the, the sort of the American slasher movies originally, um, starting off with uh, oh. John Carpenter's Halloween, and and that kind of get, I was also a child who was kind of I come from quite liberal parents, so I was sort of allowed to watch a lot of films on VHS that maybe nowadays wouldn't happen. Um, and so I saw quite a lot of these films quite early Um, and of course I do love Hitchcock as I've you know grown and developed and discovered more of cinema Um, but I did really begin with Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street um, and and those films there.
2: From where do you hail? Are you from Blighty?
15: Uh, I'm from Liverpool.
2: Oh are you uh, Evertonian or are you from uh, Anfield?
15: Not Liverpool Lane, yeah. In fact, we have a split family sort of half and half, but my side's Liverpool definitely.
2: So you'd be in the cop and then your brothers at Goodison.
15: Exactly,
2: yeah.
15: <laughs> <laughs> well, I listen to you
8: inside stuff, Ricky. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> all soccer. Um, yeah. So with this movie, how do you decide who this where the scary part comes from? Where the real Uh, you know, fantasy of being so scared you're jumping out of your seat. How do you get that in there so
15: that it works? Well, I think the thing with this one in particular, it's about a lot of paranoia. We have the main character who is sort of, can. well, in the beginning, they're just sort of fantasizing about who this strange individual that they've come to meet uh, who claims they need help one night in the woods on a dark, cold night. Uh, What this person might be, they kind of have fun with the idea of what, you know, could this person have done something wrong? Could they be a criminal? Is there something suspicious about them? Uh, And then gradually, as they start to find more and more about them, they start to think, oh, either I'm going crazy or there might be some truth in this. So it's that kind of slow paranoia suspense in the beginning uh, until we actually get to, you know, some of the twists in the story.
2: Now, in the title, Latent Cell, That leads to the, uh, latency in what way? I think we know.
15: Well, it, I mean, it actually depends. You see, the latent image, this is actually another one of the incredible American horror directors, George Romero, who's no longer with us. It was a huge inspiration to right. me. And he actually helped me learn this term because his first company was called The Latent Image. And that, uh, for people who don't know, is actually the name of the image on negative film after you've shot something on film and it hasn't been developed yet. It's called a Latent Image. And, uh, that's actually a big clue in the story of the film. It's, it's very important to an event that may or may not have been captured on film. Um, and then of course also, um, I think, I don't know if you were sort of, uh, referring to the, you know, the main character is a gay character. And so there's this idea of is another, you know, there's this kind of bizarre attraction repulsion with one of the characters and, you know, um, sort of not really understanding, uh, where they're, sort of where they're coming from in their approach. To um, you know why are they there, what, what and the situation, you know, this mysterious character who doesn't know much about who he meets that night?
8: Ooh, it sounds crazy and, and it's cocky and actually, but a little more graphic. Um, did this come Go ahead,: sorry? Did this come to you as
15: a script already formed, or was this completely out of your head? Well, this was actually based on a short film that I made back in 2018. And uh, I worked on the short film with a writing partner who is actually in the feature film version. Um, but as we were making it, it kind of, I always felt like there was more to the story. The short film was only 20 minutes long and I just, I, I could automatically see how it could be expanded to a feature without, it, it sort of lent itself to me more as a feature than as a short film. Uh, So I wrote the script for the feature on my own, and it it really did kind of come together quite quickly.
2: When you write and direct, it's your baby, and there's a lot of freedom in that with all the power, but then again, it's all on you. Were there a lot of sleepless nights knowing that it was completely your deal?
15: Well, there actually were, and um, for this uh, film, we actually all lived on the location, um, which was this sort of very isolated place in in the middle of the countryside, all on this sort of kind of private estate, uh, you could have been in the middle of nowhere. Cell phones didn't work properly. Um, so we, we all just basically lived together for three weeks while we made the film. Um, so that that was actually good because there wasn't a lot of time to feel the stress. You kind of just had to keep going until you'd finished. But, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. You know,
8: that's so true when you only have three weeks. I was reading an interview recently with Betty Davis, and she said when they made Whatever Happened to Baby Jane... They had three weeks to shoot it. She said, Bill no wow. Prophet and I didn't, didn't have time to fight. We had to get it done. You know, so, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, there's no time.
15: Exactly. And, you know, we were kind of helped for this. I mean, it's almost, even though it's a very, it's a strong film, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of graphic scenes, but it is in many ways also kind of like a chamber piece. There's a small group of characters in, in one main location. Uh, and that kind of helped it as well. You could—we didn't shoot in sequence, but almost did. You know, you, you you could do it there because we were almost always in the same place.
2: You know, in America, we of course have a lot of woods and we have a lot of scary mm-hmm. cabins, but we usually fence them off. And I know in the UK you have the right to roam. So I mean, I guess there's, there's more wow. more options for creepers, huh?
15: Yeah, and, and the funny thing about this is the film is actually set in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um, and we were quite lucky. We filmed in Cumbria, which is a county in the north of England, uh, just south of Scotland. Mm-hmm. And the, we filmed in a location where there was this man who had actually deliberately built a log cabin from American plans using imported lumber to make it look like it was an American cabin. And all of the, the whole cabin area, there was a river in front of it, and then the, the, it was ringed with sort of those um, fir trees that you sort of have in the Pacific Northwest. So it, it, it literally, picture perfect, seems like we're in the Pacific Northwest. And then we have to get American cars and license plates and everything. Did you, um, did you have anybody
2: but, with a Geordie accent give it away?
15: <laughs> we didn't. We, didn't. We, we had a lot of Scottish crew members, but you, you don't hear them at all in the film. One of the characters <laughs> in the film actually is English. Uh, he's supposed to be a, a, an English guy living in America. And then the other two uh, main characters, one is an actor from Vancouver, Jay Clift, who we brought over from Vancouver. Uh, and another actor, Will, he um, he is from Seattle, but he now lives in London. So it was easy to just cast him there.
8: Well, do we, if, if I can ask, um, do you use a lot of blood? You know, Hitchcock used to say, it's not about the blood, it's about the anticipation of the blood.
7: Mm-hmm.
15: What's your opinion on that? Well, I think we use it in quite surprise. I mean, I, I agree, but I, I do like, I'm sort of torn between it because I do think that when you've got a really well choreographed sort of bloody murder sequence, for example, I know it sounds strange, but it can be like such a wonderful sort of choreography and such a great moment in the film. But I think what, what's important is to put it in the right places because if you just have it wall to wall from beginning to end, it starts to lose any meaning. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully what we've done here is you get sort of a nice build-up to this thing and then it kind of explodes and, it's, and it, you really get the effect of that blood. And then, you know, you have to set it up till then the next time you're going to get something like that as well.
2: Last question for you. Uh, this has been at the Queer, Creams, uh, Queer Screens Festival and also the Fargo Moorhead mm-hmm. LGBT now, some people will say, oh, you know, this is a quote-unquote gay movie, and then it gets put in like that sort of genre, it's gets pigeonholed category, but this is a horror, it's, it's more than just that, you don't want it to sort of be pigeonholed, right?
15: No, exactly not So I think that, um, first of all, I think those boundaries are kind of very much gone for a lot of people, if you just think of... The, the amount of gay representation that there is in any mainstream film or TV show now, it's, it's, it's wonderful compared to what it was even just five, ten years ago. Um, and, you know, this really is a film that I think, uh, obviously it's for the LGBTQ audience, but it's also, it will immediately appeal to people who love a horror film, it will appeal to people who love a strong thriller, because it is a horror film in the psychological thriller mode, there's no supernatural or anything like that, it's very much a story about people in an environment, um, and yeah, and, you know, and it's set in America, but I do think it has kind of a European sensibility as well, which makes that kind of interesting. Um, I think there's a lot there people, you people know, give it a chance, and I think a lot of people will enjoy it.
2: We've been speaking with Scouser Alexander McGregor <laughs> Burrell from Cinephobia, releasing a movie that he wrote and direct. It's called The Latent Image. Inspiration can be deadly. It'll make its U.S. debut Thursday in L.A. at the Lumiere Music Hall. Alexander, congratulations.
8: Congratulations.
2: Thank you so much wow. you know. All right. And uh Jan... Isn't it
8: great, Rick, when someone has passion like that for what they do?
2: Yeah. It and does. you know really scary stuff.
8: How would you you... Know what I was just, how would I you was like... just thinking mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, Henry.
2: Well I was just gonna say we're gonna run to a break, but how would you like a Tony Award winner coming up?
8: Whoa, yeah.
2: All right, we'll do that next. Rick Tittle Please. and Jan Wall, come on back.
16: You're never gonna get my love.
10: and qualify for free shipping. Stop overpaying and call right now.
0: Paid for by Steel Man Pills. 800-965-1295. 800-965-1295. 800-965-1295. That's 800-965-1295. Has your heater or air conditioner busted? Appliance broken? Computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trust Pilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. That's 800-867-6917.
17: President Biden recently released a massive $6 trillion budget, the largest budget in U.S. history. And guess who pays the bill? That's right, you, the American taxpayer. American citizens and business owners will be paying more taxes. That's a fact.
18: All
2: right, that are the dulcet but powerful tones of our next guest, Joaquina Kalakongo, the Tony Award winner. And uh, Rick Tittle and Jan Wall with you. Uh, Joaquina is here to talk about the world premiere recording about uh, of Wild About You uh, from Broadway Records. Joaquina, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, so many people dream about being. Just to get on stage and you want you want a Tony is it kind of all surreal for you?
16: Uh, absolutely, it's amazing. This has been a dream of mine since I was in high school, and there is nothing like performing at Radio City Music Hall. It's so epic, and I don't even remember. I think half of that
8: night. <laughs> wow! Hi, this is Joe and this is Jan Wall. That your voice is so powerful. Um, uh, you know, uh, when you did the Tonys, when you got the Tony, um, who were you, who did you meet that night and what was inspiring to you?
16: Oh my goodness. Um, it's so crazy because I think I had been meeting so many people throughout, um, the, the Tony awards campaign. Um, and so that night it really just became a celebration with all of the artists because we were all coming out of the pandemic. Broadway was just coming back. And I think for everyone involved, it was just a chance to get to celebrate all of us bringing theater back to the stage. Um, And like I said, I really can't remember that night.
7: (laughs) It was
8: such a
16: whirlwind. You you really don't realize like how high of emotion that moment is, you know? Mm.
2: I think your story is such an amazing story of America. Your, your parents leave Angola, political refugees, to go to Georgia, and their daughter ends up at Juilliard winning the Tony. I mean, that, if that's not the American dream, what is it?
16: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's pretty insane. And I, I, I take everything that I am from my parents, like their fearlessness, their um, hunger, their drive. Um, and I, I thank them also for allowing me to come here and pursue a career in the arts. Because as a lot of people will tell you, African parents won't really push that a lot of the time. <laughs> it was like you come here and be a doctor, you come here and be an mm-hmm. engineer. So the fact that they said, "Hey, this is this is the thing that you can go towards," I, I'm I'm forever grateful because it changed my life.
2: I think it's amazing. Well, we just too heard the... some
8: of that voice. Well,
2: mm-hmm. Go ahead, Janie. Sorry.
8: Where did that? Yeah, where did that voice come from? When, Where, where did that voice, uh, who inspired you, and then how did you get that voice? It's quite remarkable. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea in terms of where this voice
16: came from. No one in my family sings <laughs> that I know of, um, and I, I guess I credited a lot to – my high school, um, that was where I found out about theater and I started doing musicals in high school. so I I started singing pretty late at like fourteen. and then when I went to Juilliard, of course, it was really more concentrated on acting um, than singing and I give a lot of my credit to uh, Joan later, who was my vocal coach during. Um, Paradise Square, and she literally changed my life. It was the first time that I, I had a, a personal vocal coach, and just everything that she taught me about my voice, um, about warming up and cooling down after shows because of the extremities of the emotions of this show and how taxing it could be, it literally changed everything about my performance. So a lot of it is Jones, for sure.
2: I think Paradise Square is amazing because it, it it premiered out here in Berkeley a few years ago, and it was brand new. And the plot, you know, it's the Civil War uh, draft riots between Irish and Black Americans. It's like, ugh, that doesn't sound interesting at all. It's brand new, brand new on Broadway last year, and it wins Best Musical. And you, the best actress, has anything ever taken New York theater by storm like that? It's, I, I mean,
16: I, I'm sure there are a lot of shows. And funny enough. I think for us, the Tony Awards was really our only uh, chance to really truly publicize our show. At that time, we we hadn't performed on like a Good Morning America or any of the, you know, morning talk shows. So this is our one opportunity <laughs> to showcase to the world that this show existed. It was a New York story. It was so important for a lot of us that we were doing it right where it happened. Um, and so... For us, a lot of it banked on that Tony Awards performance. of just like, this is our
8: only opportunity to share this with the world, essentially. And, yeah, it was amazing. Your new album, would you consider yourself a belter, like a showbiz belter, uh, like Ethel Merman or something, where you belt it out? Or would you think of yourself more as the kind of person who uh, just tells a story like Judy Garland through lyrics?
16: I'm definitely a storyteller. I love telling mm-hmm. stories. That's the only reason I got into this thing, um, for sure. And, and I think that's what people connect to with me most is my authenticity, because as people will tell you, I can be off key sometimes too. <laughs> but I will always tell a story, <laughs> regardless, no. voice or no voice. And I think that's really all it is, is about what you can communicate through a song and what you can make people feel and, and that's why I got into to the arts was because I saw once on this island and I only remembered how that show made me feel. It was the most electrifying right. thing I had ever seen and that's really all I want to do is to make people feel and have a good
7: time.
2: Tony Winter Joquina Kalakon goes with us. The world premiere recording of Wild About You from Broadway Records we're talking about. I'm interested in your audition to Juilliard because it has to be the most competitive School in America, and comedian Isabel Hagan, she got in on violin, and she always says when people say, how do I get my daughter or my son in, she's like, don't try, they won't get in. So, <laughs> for you, what, oh my God. <laughs> what, <laughs> what was your talent? Was it, was it pure singing, and how did you audition?
16: No, um, uh, I auditioned for the acting program. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we did something called Unified Auditions, where you can go to like Chicago or New York and uh you audition for a couple of colleges in the hotel and juilliard happened to be in chicago so i did a couple of auditions in chicago at this one hotel and i went down at my call time um and I, i guess maybe there were like 11 or 12 people in a set within the hour um and at the end of your set they post up a call back so relatively the whole day maybe only seven people get called back and that's just one place (laughs) <laughs> Mind you, there are thousands of people who submit an audition for Juilliard. And so I got a call back that night. I went in and did my other two monologues, did an interview with the head of the department at the time of the drama department. And then I got a call a couple of weeks later to say to come fly to New York for their first annual callback weekend. Um, and where it was where they eliminated, they brought it down to about 40 students from all of the thousands of people that auditioned and you would come to New York and take a weekend of classes and allow teachers to observe you and of course present your monologues as well because it's really about building an ensemble. And from that 40, they then eliminated to, I believe 20, 10 boys and 10 girls. Wow. Um, uh, the weekend I auditioned, it was a snowstorm as well. So a lot of people were like trying to get in. It was so delayed. It was the craziest thing I have ever experienced. but. So much of that audition process was really about your connection because it's about building an ensemble. You're working with a group of artists for four years and you're doing Shakespeare, you're doing the classics. You know, you're working with new playwrights and developing plays that are going to be produced on Broadway, like literally the next year, <laughs> which is so exciting. And you get to work with all of these new up-and-coming directors. And, uh, but it was a very intense process. For sure. And I would invite everybody to audition. For me, I knew that I wanted to specifically, um, I wanted to go to a conservatory. I knew I didn't want to take math classes. I knew I wanted to be in theater doing what I love to do. And I say for anybody who has a goal of this is what you want to do wholeheartedly, go for it and
8: audition. It's the the best place to be in New York. God, that's amazing what are some of the other songs what are what are some songs that you have chosen for this album well let
16: me be very clear this is selena kennedy's album of she created a new musical and it's about a woman who finds herself in the hospital with a limited memory and she's trying to put her life together and she comes to this realization that um, the greatest love of her life is her son. So Shalina asked me to sing one song on the album and oh. there are numerous amazing artists, uh, all incredible stars really on this album. Um, and she asked me to sing this song and I think it's so beautiful because we're both mothers of sons. So what I, I sing this song called, um, love is what I'm here to find what I'm here to find. And, uh, it's it's this beautiful this realization of this mother realizing that her son is her greatest gift and when we were doing paradise square selena was creating this musical we shared a dressing room together and she was creating this musical while we were performing on stage eight times a week that's how brilliant this woman is her and daniel um and so i i can't wait for the world to to hear this music i think she's an incredible new voice that theater needs Um, And I'm so excited I know nothing about any of the other songs that are being produced So I'm just as excited to see who who else is on this album And what it sounds
2: like Last question for you It's an interesting show The character Olivia She finds herself in the hospital with a limited memory And then she's digging through to see who her emergency contact is And she kind of finds out that she loved too many guys Is that what it's about? (laughs) Right (laughs) Wow, I can relate.
8: (laughs) Can't we all?
2: (laughs) Well, listen, everybody should pick it up from Broadway Records. It's called Wild About You, and we are here with the uh, very talented Joaquina Kalakango. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it.
16: Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much for
2: having me. All right, good stuff. And, uh, Jan, on the other Uh, side, can we talk about Oppenheimer? Oh, can we ever. All right, we'll do that next. Rick Tittle and Jan Wall, come on back on Byline.
0: That's 800-211-6008
19: If you're struggling to keep up with conversations, avoiding restaurants because you can't understand the waiter,
14: You must be crazy. Use a doG And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
2: All right, Jan. Oppenheimer, what do you think?
14: Okay, honey. Three hours go
8: by. I did not move. I did not get up. I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't get to drink. I, I didn't want to miss a second. This thing is so brilliant. Mm. I can't wait to go see it again. Mm. I thought it's just genius. Wow. I would tell people, see it on the big screen. You've just got to seek it out. It takes a big subject and makes you understand every element of it, the politics, uh, you know, the, the uh, science. I never thought I'd understand the science, H-bomb versus A-bomb, how they got it together, how Oppenheimer made a town of scientists that made this thing happen, how they were in a race with the Germans and the Russians. I mean, just brilliant uh, how he felt. A lot of people would say, well, there wasn't enough about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well, that wasn't what this movie's about. This movie is about Oppenheimer's journey and what happened to him. And uh, boy, it really nails it. I, I think it's quite brilliant. Did you? Do you agree with me, Rick?
2: Um, I, I was, I, I sat there too. I saw it on the big screen. I did not use the restroom. Um, <laughs> I, I wish it had been more Manhattan Project unless Robert Downey Jr. And all those, ah, in, all those interviews. Politics. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of the McCarthyism of it all, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, finding out all, a lot of this happened at Cal was kind of cool. They had some shots on campus there as well. But, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could sit through it again.
8: Yeah, well, I know what you mean about the McCarthy era. That happens to be something I'm very interested in as Mm -hmm. a sideline, that whole period. And the way it makes sense, because, um, I don't know, Downey is really good in this. Everybody's really good in this. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, you had to understand how they got rid of Oppenheimer. And how Teller completely screwed him over and how how they needed to get rid of him politically and how politics works. So some people I know, that was their favorite part because it really shows the behind the scenes. But,
7: mm-hmm.
8: um, yeah, I know what you mean. I wonder if that was done because of the the actor himself. You know, he had to have a lot of airtime because I'm sure he cost them a fortune.
2: Well, the whole movie is Killian Murphy's face. Yeah.
8: It, it, it's really good. I mean, yeah. don't you? Th- would you recommend it to people, Rick?
2: I would recommend it to people who like dialogue and history and have a strong butt. Mm-hmm. I would, yes.
7: <laughs> you know
8: what? What uh, Harry Cohen the mogul used to say? Who started Columbia Pictures? He used to say, "If my butt twitches." At all during a movie I know it's not good It has to be cut
7: um,
8: I think they could have cut it And I think the parts they could have cut Are what you referred to Yeah, But um, I still really love this I, film I also So between that and Barbie I have been a very happy
2: girl <laughs> We only have like 10 seconds I didn't really care for the whole thing With the, the chubby girl that killed herself That whole ah. th- Yeah but whatever um, You consider her chubby? Wow <laughs> She's naked in the movie, and you think she's chubby? Hey, bless Man, her. I don't think you <laughs> I, I, I think I just got canceled. Uh, <laughs> Jan, have a great weekend. I love you, Rick. All right. Love you, too. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back. we got two more hours.
20: USA News, I'm Corey Myers. The nation's employers added 187,000 jobs in August, evidence of a slowing but still resilient labor market despite the high interest rates the Federal Reserve has imposed. Last month's job growth marked an increase from July's revised gain of 157,000, but still pointed to a moderating pace of hiring compared with the sizzling gains of last year and earlier this year. Georgia will broadcast former President Trump's trial live online.
6: The judge presiding over the Georgia indictment of the former president ruled all of the court proceedings will be live-streamed on the court's YouTube channel following requests from media outlets to allow cameras in the courtroom. Trump pleaded not guilty in the case on Thursday. I'm Dave Collins.
20: Most of Hong Kong and other parts of southern China have ground to a near standstill as powerful typhoon Seola approaches. Many workers staying home today, students in various cities seeing the start of their school year postponed to next week. Trading on Hong Kong's stock market was suspended and about 460 flights were cancelled in the key regional business and travel hub. Pope Francis has arrived in Mongolia to encourage one of the world's smallest and newest Catholic communities. It's the first time a pope has visited the landlocked Asian country and comes at a time when the Vatican's relations with Mongolia's two powerful neighbors, Russia and China, are once again strained. Following a welcome ceremony... Pope Francis plans to rest for the remainder of the day today. His official program begins Saturday and lasts through Monday. This is USA News.
18: is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double. Metashare works too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE.
20: What would you do if you found a bag of money? Hopefully not what this guy did.
21: A Connecticut man found out the hard way you can still be charged with a crime if you find a bag of money and no one's around. 51-year-old Robert Whittington said it felt like he won the lottery when he discovered a bag with nearly $5,000 in cash lying around in a parking lot. Three months later, he was charged with larceny. Trumbull police say the money bag was clearly marked and contained numerous documents inside identifying the rightful owner. Whittington says he saw none of that and has made a promise to appear in court on Tuesday. I'm Lance Pry.
20: A police report being filed against rapper 50 Cent after he allegedly threw a microphone into the crowd at his L.A. concert. TMZ reporting an L.A. radio host filed the report after she got hit in the head. It appears the rapper was frustrated after being handed several mics that didn't work before he threw the microphone for Winfrey and Dwayne, the rock Johnson announcing a new fund to help people affected by the Maui wildfires, The two celebrities have launched the People's Fund of Maui, which they say will give cash directly to those impacted areas. They've kicked off the campaign by donating $10 million. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration says it still plans to finalize rules that would prohibit the sale of menthol cigarettes in the coming months. I'm Corey
6: Myers, USA News.
2: Hey, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. Is this sports talk? Well, maybe at 1025 and a little bit in the third hour. (laughs) We just talked to a guy who did a documentary about Orson Welles. We talked to a director who, a spooky movie about a guy in the woods. He comes to the door with a knife and then I think they kiss and then the Tony winner, I thought it was Joaquina, but she says Joaquina Calacongo. Great name. I like a first name, Calacongo. What's your name, Calacongo? You go by Cal? No. Go by Cali. Um, coming up in the next segment, and it's never nice to assume people aren't with us, but they are with us. And that is Doug and Emmy Joe from the New Zoo Review. It's the New Zoo Review coming right at you. Yes, they're back. Maybe a little Henrietta Hippo. Maybe a little Freddy the Frog. Maybe a little Charlie the Owl. You never know (laughs) what might happen. And Jay Farrow, stand-up comedian and Saturday Night Live vet, man of a million voices, he'll join us in the next hour as well. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back. I have another minute. <laughs> this is my first day on the radio. <laughs> you know, when I sit here, I've got the controls. I've got three notes. I've got people texting me. It's still no excuse. Um, <laughs> it would be nice, though, to be like a can be and take a break whenever you feel like it. <laughs> There's no clock. Let's just save all the breaks till the end, and then we'll do like 12 minutes straights of commercials. Um, and plus, I, you know what? I had to come back for an encore because I missed you too much. One a Play. Let's do hour two.
18: Right
21: at you. we three delightful animals. Have fun with what
2: they do. They learn with their friend Don and his helper Emmy Joe. With Freddy Charlie. And Rihanna, we, we have fun learning me. what we don't know. <laughs> All right, the new zoo review coming right at you. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It is our pleasure to welcome Doug and Emmy Joe to the show. Do they really need their last name, Momre? Doug and Emmy Joe. Uh, Emmy, uh, ladies first. Um, when this show ran, I was seven to twelve years old. I was right in your sweet spot. So you guys are a, you guys are a big deal to me.
22: Well, thank you. Uh, we're finding out that we're a big deal for a lot of kids that are now our new zoo kids that are in their fifties and sixties.
2: And Doug, this, I hope this doesn't come off as an insult, but even when I was 10, I would look at you and I would look at Emmy Joe, and I thought, wow, Doug did really well.
23: Well, you know, (laughs) you should should mention that, Rick, because everybody used to come up to me and said, how did a guy like you get a beauty (laughs) like her? (laughs) So that, that has kind of followed me the, the whole way, but you know, it's been wonderful. We have over 50 years of marriage. <laughs>
22: mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it's been, it has been was wonderful working together and starting our, that's how we started our marriage was with New Zoo Review. And then our daughter, Joanna, was born, who started our Facebook page, and she's here with us today, too, as a matter of fact. And, um, you know, we'll, we will have been married 53 years this December 28th.
2: That's absolutely amazing, and of course, stories of Hollywood, it's usually like little charming stories like this that, you know, end in disaster, and you guys are a, a happily ever after, huh?
23: Well, yeah. let, let me tell you, Rick, uh, on the on the set, uh, doing the show uh, all those years, we did 196 half hours, and a lot of the scuttlebutt around the set was, uh, it's a Hollywood marriage, it'll never last. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, Doug, you're a songwriter, and how many songs did you write for that show?
23: I wrote over 600 songs Ooh. for the series.
2: And and Emmy Joe, they were like lessons too. They were for kids, like just little things to uh, tell them what to do when they grow up, right?
9: Mm-hmm.
2: Well,
22: yes, and you know, Doug is just always he's just constantly creating. And I remember one time. When he had to write like I don't know thirty song thirty songs in a weekend or something, and with a there was a deadline, and I just kept the coffee coming, and he just all of these wonderful songs just spilled out of him. And now, all these years later, thanks to Joanna's Facebook page, people are just coming out of the woodwork who grew up on our show and are telling us about the lessons that they learned and how, you know, our show helped them through difficult times in their childhood and, and that they are now, they just have so many happy memories of it. It's just, it's very rewarding. We are really enjoying meeting the kids like you that watched our show and are now grown up with children and grandchildren of their own.
2: You know what, I mean, Joe? I might have been on my way to San Quentin if it wasn't for your show. <laughs> well,
22: you know, I'll tell you something. You're not the only person that has told us that. <laughs> well,
7: well, a lot of mm-hmm. a
23: lot of kids uh, didn't didn't have a dad or a mom, or I mean, you know, they were kind of latchkey kids. And we've heard. Well, we were just at San Diego Comic Con, and we heard from from guys that have just said. Thank you for being our parents. Wow! <laughs> I mean, and and you know, when you're recording and you're doing the show, you don't really think about what kind of impact it's going to have. But we are so grateful that it had that kind of impact. I, I got to tell you, because me, you know, writing those songs, I did want to tell a little lesson in in each one of the songs. And because Sesame Street at the time was doing ABC's one two three. We wanted to do a show about relationships. How do you get along with your sister, your mom, your dad, your uncle, you know, and that, that's kind of where the show was born, and how we created it.
22: And it's pretty amazing because when we did the show, you know, we've always, we always loved children, but it was more entertainment. We were doing a show to entertain kids and teach kids. And because of Joanna's Facebook page, and now there's almost forty four thousand followers, we're we're finding out how deeply impactful the show was. And I love our New Zoo kids. I have such a feeling of affection for those little children who are now grown up. And we met a whole bunch of them in San Diego, and we're going to be in a couple weeks in Allen. And we've already had had some of our new zoo kids say, well, I'm going to be there, and I just can't wait to give them a big hug.
2: Well, we're only nostalgic for things we liked, and we all liked that show. And I, I guess, Doug, over the years, too, people can get confused. Like, I think this was a um, you know, Sid and Marty Croft show. I think Sigmund the Seed Monster was in it. I think they were part of the Banana Splits. Do you kind of get people getting confused like that?
23: Yeah, because it all does blend in together, you know that that age of the '70s and '80s. But Sid and Marty Croft, the only really contact we had with them was they actually built our costumes from our design. Oh, and uh, they really had nothing to do with the content or the actual show itself. But you know, they they were part of the whole culture back then too. So it's it's understandable that people can say it's all one show
2: right you know uh emmy joe i had a, a veteran of your show i interviewed her uh last year joanne worley because she was vanessa Gra- oh. vanessa graham cracker right Yes,
22: yes. joanne worley oh my goodness wouldn't i love to see her again
2: she's still hilarious
22: that's amazing did she, re-
23: did she actually remember the show, Rick?
2: Well, well, I didn't bring it up at the time because this was a year ago, but I'm sure oh. she, I'm sure she did. I mean, this was a, a big, huge part of the zeitgeist, as we like to say.
23: Yeah, I mean, because we had a lot of cool guest stars back in the day. I mean, I was thrilled to meet Henry Mancini. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was sitting in the boat with with him talking about music on the
2: show
23: <laughs> <laughs> on Freddie's pond and. On Freddie's phone.
2: So when Jim Backus came on, did you think, "Oh, it's Thurston Howell the third, or it's Mr. Magoo?"
23: Mr. Magoo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I actually one time saw Jesse White do comedy, the old Maytag repairman, and he was filthy. Uh, not on your show, though, though, right? <laughs> no, we, he cleaned
23: up his acts
2: on our show. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, I mean, uh huh, you know, and also. Yeah, i got to mention before we go, Chuck Woolery played an old man. Uh, What was he, the the postman for a year?
22: Mr. Dingle, the postman.
23: Yeah, in fact, first acting gig, I think, uh, back in the day. He he did our first season and played Mr. Dingle.
2: So tell us how people can check out uh, your daughter's Facebook page, please.
23: I'm going to put Joanna on. She's going to tell you that. Oh, my goodness. This is our daughter.
24: Mm -hmm. I'm Joanna. Hi. Um, It has been such an honor for me. First, it's great. Thank you for having Mom and Dad and me. Um, But it has just been such an honor for me to see the outpouring um, of appreciation for my parents. Um, They walked away from a lot when they decided to make a life for themselves um, elsewhere after the show to raise me and my my siblings, and so it has meant so much for me. I said, Dad, let me just open up a door, and you'll see. You had such an impact on so many, and sure enough, that's, that's what's happened, and it's just um, really been an honor to be a part of it. So we are uh, on Facebook. It's at The New Zoo Review on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter,
10: mm-hmm.
24: um, and we would love to connect with um, people who have fond memories, and um, mom and dad especially, Love. we've done several live um, visits. Freddie came live, mm. Henrietta and they are also going to be joining us live on Facebook soon, and um, we'd love to see everyone.
2: What about that note? What about that oh, know what? The, what about the know it all Charlie? Is he coming by?
24: Oh yeah, oh yeah. We <laughs> we we definitely have plans to bring him out. And you know his wit is just watching some of these things as an adult. Even because <laughs> I watch the show, but I also have my parents in the kitchen, telling me to eat my cereal. You know, <laughs> so it's a little bit of a different dynamic for me. But it's been so fun to go back and watch some of these clips that I'm getting to share. Um, on social media, and really connecting with it as as an adult. And the scripts and the songs, I mean, it's just hilarious. Charlie in particular has some pretty amazing wit.
2: (laughs) It's Doug, Emmy Joe, and Joanna, the New Zoo Review. Check out the Facebook page. Check them out at a Comic-Con coming to you as well. It's a great story that you guys are still going strong. Thank you so much for coming on.
22: Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. It's a great honor to be on this network with our nation's heroes.
2: All right, great stuff. I'm Rick Tuttle. We'll take a quick break and we'll have some open lines, so come on back.
7: Very wise and very smart is Charlie the Owl. Woo! Not so smart and lots of heart is Freddy the Frog. It's quite an unusual thing. The animals talk and sing with Doug and every Joe. Every day's a different show. It's a new to review.
0: That's 800-392-7027. Limitations and exclusions apply. First
21: month free with purchase of single plan. Visit choicehomewarranty.com for more details. Remember in the beginning, when you first started to build a life for you and your family, you never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call.
0: that's 800-943-2153.
4: To me, it's like a mountain,
21: a vast bowl of pus.
14: Beats his servants.
2: Ah, uh, that's incorrect. Welcome back to the show. 1 800 878 play. 1 800 878 7529. Come on in and get heard. Whoop whoop. All that other great stuff. Um, <clears throat> we've been wondering what's going to happen to the Pack Four. And well, it's going to be the Pack Two because it looks like Wazoo and Oregon State are left holding whatever's bad to hold, the bag of whatever, doo-doo, because it looks like Cal, Stanford, and Southern Methodist are going to the Athletic Coast Conference. Eighteen members. Kind of thought this would happen. It almost happened, but remember, Clemson and Florida State said, no, 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 no. Well, they needed somebody to flip, and uh, they did get the vote. So SMU is going to join on July 1st next year, and Cal and Stanford will join August 2nd next year, about 11 months. And Cal and Stanford will take uh, Medusa, big snakes in the hair, yeah, reduced media rights of about 30%, according to Yahoo Sports. Both will contribute portions of its revenue back, to the conference with the amount dwindling over time until the 10th year, and then they will be a full member. And SMU, remember, they said, you don't have to pay us anything for seven years. Well, they've agreed to not get anything for nine years. Woo! Now, if they make the playoffs, playoffs, which they won't, they'll still get paid. If they make March Madness... Remember, it's not just football. They'll still get paid. And if they get bowl monies, they'll be distributed to the league. But can you imagine, like even 10 years ago, Clemson and Florida State saying, well, if you want to join our league on the other coast, you're not even going to be a full member for 10 years and you're going to take less money. Cal and Stanford would have said, yeah, right. We got Oregon and USC and UCLA and Washington and Arizona State and Arizona, we're going to be fine without you. No, this is a huge victory for Cal and Stanford to land on their feet. And that means the students will be taking some long flights. The closest member outside of the Bay Area is Louisville. There's a long way to go, baby. long way. So Cal put out a statement. The university will receive a full share of all revenues, including media revenue, while contributing back a portion of its media revenue to support and strengthen the conference and its current member institution. UC Berkeley's membership contribution will taper off until the 10th year, at which point it will be retaining uh, 100% of those media revenue shares. And in fact, the annual revenue will increase over time. That was an important factor in this agreement. Are you kidding? It's it's funny. We 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 get all the money. Oh, you do. Yeah, right away we get all the money. We we just give back 70% of it to strengthen the conference. Gotcha. I love how people try to like save face. <clears throat> oh no, we're a full member. We would just going to help out. Yeah. So the commissioner Jim Phillips of the ACC said, quote, we are thrilled to welcome three world-class institutions to the ACC. We look forward to having them compete as part of our amazing league. Throughout the evaluation process, the ACC Board of Directors led by President Ryan, thought it was Biden, was, uh, it's ACC, was deliberate in prioritizing the best possible athletic and academic experience for our student-athletes and ensuring that the three universities would strengthen the league in all possible ways. Cal SMU and Stanford will be terrific members of the ACC, and we are proud to welcome their student-athletes, coaches, staff, and entire campus community, alumni, and fans. I'm telling you right now, if Cal tried to keep the pack whatever and throw in Fresno State, Utah State, and Boise State, that's not a power five. And if they had gone to the Mountain West, you're in the group of five. If you went to the AA, uh, uh, AA uh, American Athletic Conference, group of five, <clears throat> they are still power five. Now, Anson Dorrance, who's in his 47th year as head coach of the North Carolina women's soccer team, said, let them die on the vine. It's hard enough competing with them when it comes to recruiting. Guess what, Anson Dorrance? Warp, 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 warp. So the ACC is expected to receive about $72 million in additional media rights. As a result of this expansion, 50 to 60 million of that revenue will be made available for the SEC to distribute as part of either a revised financial model or an incentive program. So all three schools (coughs) and everybody else will be eligible to earn additional revenue based on incentives tied to major sports, which means two things, the revenue producers there are only two sports in all of college athletics that produce revenue, the ones on national television, football and basketball, men's basketball. Nothing else, everything else is a loss. <clears throat> I don't know, Rick, a volleyball game in Nebraska. All right, maybe that one time. But an incentive distribution model is still under discussion, and it's supposed to be formally introduced next year when this goes down. So, we knew that Clemson and Florida State were against it. We also knew the North Carolina schools, the Tar Heels, and the Wolfpack were against it as well. The league bylaws required 12 of 15 voting members, including Notre Dame, who are in it in everything but football, to vote for it. So, who flipped? We don't know for sure, but the reports are NC State flipped. Aha. So Cal, uh, Stanford, and Southern Methodist are seen as a buffer against the clause in the ACC's current media deal with ESPN to have the right to renegotiate if the membership fell below 15 schools. And so seven AC schools were looking at leaving. Maybe the Big Ten, maybe the Big 12. Well, now they have 18 teams. Doesn't look like they would want to leave now with all the new money coming in. You've got to split it more, but there's more to split. So the Big Ten has stretched the bounds of geographic (laughs) placement during this expansion phase. And so now Bay Area schools joining the athletic conference, as I said, the closest flight is 2,000 miles away in Louisville. Most road trips will involve six-hour flights and then a 20-mile drive to the airport. SMU, once they're in, of course, is closer than Louisville. It's in Dallas And that is in the middle of the country. It's a major hub for most airlines. But it's still going to be a bit of a jaunt for these ACC teams. But it is significant getting into the Bay Area and Dallas. I mean, the uh, Cal and Stanford were not sought after by the Big Ten because they said the Bay Area is not that great of a market. Well, it's the sixth market. They're just not great of a college football market is what they meant. And they're right. But the Big 12 already has multiple programs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So Cal and Stanford are more of a cultural fit than a financial one. I mean, they're both prestigious uh, members of the American Association of Universities. Um, Six of the 15 now are in the ACC. And the Cal-Stanford game is one of the sport's oldest rivalries. The big game has been played 125 times. You might remember the play. So come next year, it'll be a new era in college football, and the Pac-12 is supposed to fold on July 1st, 2024. They say they will expire their grant of rights. That sounds uh, pretty horrible, but it is a smooth landing to get into fire. And listen, these are two of the most prestigious the most prestigious private school on the West Coast and the most prestigious academic public school in all of the United States is Cal. And so that helps the academicians as well. And remember, more than 100 Cal and Stanford athletes were in the last Olympics. Yeah, I mean, we can go down the Nobel laureates. Cal has more than anyone. Stanford has 26 director's cups. You know, 29 Nobel Peace Prize, Peace Prizes, just 29 Nobel Prizes, 11 Pulitzer Prizes, that's all Cal. All right, I'm Rick Tittle, come on back.
0: Has your heater or air conditioner busted? Appliance broken? computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on consumer affairs and trust pilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. That's 800-867-6917
17: President Biden recently released a massive $6 trillion budget The largest budget in U.S. history And guess who pays the bill? That's right, you, the American taxpayer American citizens and business owners will be paying more taxes That's a fact
0: It's a free call, so let us fix it for you. 855-325-5647. 855-325-5647. 855-325-5647. That's 855-325-5647. It
23: says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass.
7: dreams so hard to beat every time she walks down the street another girl in the neighborhood where she was mad she looks so good i wanna hold her wanna hold her tight yeah, teenage kicks right through
14: the night rick Tiddles got a black belt in keeping it real
2: all right uh thank you for that and uh welcome <laughs> Welcome back to the uh, show. We're waiting on uh, Jay Farrow. And uh, when we uh, when we get him, uh, we'll throw him on the air. That's what we'll do. 1-800-878-7529. Just getting back to the um, Cal and Stanford uh, joining the ACC alongside SMU. And, you know, uh, SMU was in the old Southwest Conference and, You think about Doak Walker went there, won the Heisman, drafted by the New York Bulldogs in 1949. That's right. Of course, the Pony Express with Eric Dickerson, the death penalty, the Ron Meyer and Craig James and Dickerson. That was back in 87. They've never recovered until today because for SMU, being elevated to Power 5 is the culmination of really more than a decade of work. Since they hired June Jones... In 2008, they have slowly but surely climbed their way back into relevance under the direction of not just Jones, but then Chad Morris, and then Sonny Dykes, and now Rhett Lashley. And moving to a Power 5 gives SMU an air of relevance and recruiting and really a pathway now to contention with those around the team, hoping that they can unlock a new ceiling for the program. And I think it helps, too, that SMU, everything they wear says Dallas on it. You know, there is no Dallas University. If it is, I'm sure it's a business school. So I think it's cool to go ahead and just say, we Dallas. But then again, as I said, in the dust, Corvallis and Pullman, Washington. That's it. No soft landing spot. And they both have received interest from the Mountain West and the ACC. And they also both have explored rebuilding the conference into the Pac-12 again. But as I said, the Pac-12's grant of rights ceases to exist on July 1st next year. And so does the Pac-12. So time is ticking for them to finalize some plans. And what? And you would think they would go hand in hand, right? Just like Cal and Stanford did and USC and <clears throat> UCLA and... Oregon and Washington and the Arizona schools. But CBS Sports says Oregon State wants to rebuild the Pac-12 and Washington State wants to get out. Well, (laughs) it's a sinking ship and there are two rats on it. And it's really just the masthead that's sticking out of the water at this point. So um, uh, Oregon State, this is the reality. As I said... When you have, it's sort of like, I remember when I sold my first house, like I had to take a bath on it and they're like, you got to lower the, pr-. I'm like, I gotta, I can't lower it that much. I go, if you don't lower it, it's not going to sell and then it's going to keep going down and it's going to keep going down. It's going to keep going down. So I lowered to the price, to a price that I hated, but it sold immediately. But the schmuck was right because eight months later it was down like 20,000 more, like the whole market. Now I could probably crush with that house. But anyway, you want to take a little bath now or you want to take a big bath later? That was pretty much the way it was looking at that point. So Cal could either stay in the Power Five and fly to the East Coast or they could be in the wilderness is what it was, the absolute sporting wilderness, which is what is going on with Washington State and OSU now. That's where they they are. And it's not fun. And I'm not a fan of those schools, but I don't hate those schools. But it's certainly not fun. All right, here's a segue. You know who is fun is Jay Farrow, stand-up comedian, SNL vet, been in studio with me a couple of times here. He's at Helium St. Louis uh, this weekend. Jay, my man, it's good to have you. And I was just thinking about something I've never (laughs) brought up with you in person. But on SNL, they did, I think, about three or four of those crunk-ass festivals. And <laughs> and you were MC George Costanza, and you had like a ee- like a little sound, yeah. And then Bobby yeah. Moynihan was asked Dan, who died. I don't know why. Every well, time. yeah, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's hilarious, but I can watch those those fake commercials over and over and over again.
26: Well, Rick Tittle, um,
2: those commercials
26: were fun. They were so uh, they they were fun to do, and it was a play off of. Those festivals, those, mm-hmm. those festival commercials—they try to make them. Every festival was the biggest festival that was happening, which means that they're lying. Somebody got to be lying. Everything can't be the biggest <laughs> festival. So I remember they had a Bamboozle Fest was the one in New York that only lasted a year. they literally, they'll literally only last like a year. But the fact that we kept having promos going, somebody really believed in the company that told them that they were the biggest.
7: <laughs> <Best> <laughs> festival
26: ever so and that that little noise that little cat noise that that was just i don't know i just added it to the character at the end of it i was doing i looked like a t-rex cross with a freaking bunny rabbit it was crazy <laughs> my poses
2: oh but it was fun yeah those are too funny the fake band names and everything sudeikis too yeah. good um also, I know you went to VCU, <laughs> and you know there is going to be some bonobos having sex.
7: I What are we doing? Oh man! Oh
2: man! Uh, I know you went to VCU for a bit, and I, I bring up Virginia Commonwealth <laughs> University because I love the fact that their motto in Latin is "Am realem," which means "Keep it real." And I thought, did they really mean that back in the eighteen thirties? Keep it real.
26: I mean somebody somebody had to be lying. Somebody <laughs> somebody somebody was definitely lying. In eighteen thirty, I think we would expect people that were being lied to the most were the black people. We were told that we weren't people. <laughs> that was a lie. Uh it was like, You're not a person. Now get over here and put this in your mouth and <laughs> shut up. That's how that's how they did it. <laughs> that's literally how uh, they did it back uh, in the day. Yo, you know what never gets talked about from those times? Nobody ever talks about the slave men that were forced to sleep with the with the women back in the day. Nobody talks about them. Nobody feels sorry. Nobody feels sorry for Scotty sleeping with uh sleeping with uh Deborah. Nobody feels sorry for that. You know what I mean? They all wanna bring uh, up they bring up the other one here. oh yeah, that's right. Oh, oh yeah, old Bessie <laughs> got taken advantage of by Richard, but don't nobody want to talk about the other side. It happened on both sides. It did.
2: So, VCU. Yep. Let's go back to that. I uh, I stayed. <laughs> well, now you remember. You remind me of Jimmy the Greek. He got fired because he said they'd take the big black guy and make him have sex with the big black girl, so you'd have a stronger slave. You're fired.
26: Oh wow. I mean, as 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 true. As probably that might be a true <laughs> statement, but I'm sure the source that it was coming out of was was uh. <laughs> Was ghost colored, so nobody, nobody, uh, uh <laughs> nobody really liked that. Now, if uh, I said that, it would just be like he took an African American study class. He knows, it's <laughs> ghost. but if he says it, it's just it's offensive and it's wild. It, it, it is yeah. it's offensive and it's wild. It, but
7: uh, yeah, we, ain't,
26: like we
2: uh, sorry it reminds me of that Louis uh, C.K. joke where he's like, time travel is only interesting to white people because yep. we can go back at any point and they'll be like, table for one. <laughs>
26: Did you see the uh did you see the sketch we did? I know well it definitely I definitely thought of it, thought about it. Uh I, I was I was in on it. I came up with the idea, but Seth Myers and uh and uh Col- not was it Colin? Did he write that? It was Seth Myers and Michael Che. Yeah, me, Seth Myers and Michael Che. We made this uh we made this sketch called Twelve Days of Free Slave. And it was like the first twelve days after black people got free from slavery, and I was in a bar. And I was like, bartender. And the bartender just kept looking at me and walking by and I was like, okay. Like it was it was <laughs> it was it was real. It was fun, man. It was fun. I wanna do a sketch. I wanna do a sketch where uh white folks switch uh switch shackles and chains with black people like they're slaves and then, you know, on the ship ride over, they're trying to talk to management because they're not <laughs> they just can't believe the conditions that they're <laughs> they're being succumbed to. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm Richard, damn it. No, Richard, nope. No, no. Richard does not ride with everybody else. Shackwood and chain what? Did you just throw up on me? I'm Richard, damn it. You can't just defecate on me. I'm Richard. He'll be getting mad. He's like, I want to talk to corporate. corporate. It's, it's it, dude, it's, it's uh, what is it, it's 16, 24? There's no corporate, bro. There's no corporate. There's somebody uh. actually say that. I also, also want to do a sketch. Now I'm not gonna put that one out because that that that's too that's too good that's too good. The one I just said will probably get created if somebody listens to this, they'll try it. But you know you heard it first, so uh, that's stealing, bitches. Thanks for
2: No, yeah, twelve days, not yeah. a slip. Remember, you came in, you tried to high five people. I think Ed Norton was the the yep. guest host. Yeah, it was,
26: it was me and oh yeah, you did watch that. Yeah, me and Ed Norton. Yeah. That was a fun one, man. And that just, was really fun, man. I,
2: I gotta bring it up again. Not that I'm quoting Louis C. K. twice, but he said, you know, when slavery ended, what about us? They took our slaves away. Now we got to pick all the cotton.
26: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Only he <That's>
26: right. <laughs> You do, you do. Get out there and make America great again, white, make it great again. So
15: uh, we did
2: it, St. Louis, baby. Uh, it's got an interesting feel. It's got great steaks. It's got great music. How you find St. Louis?
26: I think the food here is immaculate. Mm-hmm. The food is great. I mean, you might have to <laughs> shoot the food. The food make you forget about the violence. <laughs> oh, that's, East that's St. How Louis, good the, right? food is. <laughs> the food make you forget. Make you forget that fifteen bullets just whizz past your head ten minutes earlier. You might catch one in the – you might be in a restaurant just sitting there chilling, man. This meat, this bacon-wrapped meatloaf is amazing. Shoot. Too bad I only got one earlobe now. The other one got shot off. But it's all good. It's cool. It's cool, baby. I'm still in there. This meatloaf is amazing.
2: <laughs> Part of your ear now. Wow. So – I'm
26: just saying. I, I, you know what, though? I would say this, man. I have not – I know that they, they say that this is one of the most dangerous cities, but – I mean every part that's dangerous there's a real nice part too. Yeah. You just got to you just got to know where not
2: to go. Well, that's it's how. like I'm from Oakland and when I tell people that Oakland oh, has boy. Oakland has way more nice neighborhoods than San Francisco and they're like, "What?" I'm like, "You just you yeah. haven't you haven't seen them. They're up in the hills." You haven't seen it. And and I mean, I mean they're mad
26: gentrified now, of course you know. Mm-hmm. They mad gentrified, but there it is again. Like now you got thugs and whole foods. <laughs> <laughs> somebody walking over there. Somebody gets shot over the last bag of quinoa chips. You put a little bit of quinoa chips for real. Uh,
7: <laughs>
26: That's part of my time, Regiment. You had to come up off them quinoa chips. <laughs> there was a shooting, and it was a shooting today in Whole in Whole Foods. Apparently, over a bag of quinoa <laughs> chips, a blood and a crypt found themselves in a very uncomfortable position.
2: Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Jay Farrow, HeliumComedyClub.com. Get the tickets in St. Louis. Jay, always, always hilarious, man. Have a great time there.
26: Thank you, my brother.
2: All right, good All right. stuff. Thank you very much. I'm Rick Tuttle. We'll take a quick break. We'll come on back on Sports Byline.
10: Stop overpaying and call right now.
0: Paid for by Steel Man Pills. 800-965-1295. 800-965-1295. 800-965-1295. That's 800-965-1295. Has someone in
11: your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? sell a home you can't afford or just don't want to get the cash you need today
0: 800-788-1495 800-788-1495 800-788-1495 that's 800-788-1495
12: i don't even recognize myself anymore
0: i'm really worried about him
13: his addiction
14: Rick Tittle is a majestic
2: stallion. Thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Uh, Yeah, I usually don't do a lot of uh, (laughs) slave references. Got into that with Jay Farrell, but I was talking about that Jimmy the Greek thing. I remember at the time I was in college, and I had once again I was mentioning Harry Edwards. I was in that class, and Harry Edwards said kind of like what Jay Farrell said. Oh, he took a black studies class. Harry Edwards said everything he said was true. It's just uh, an uncomfortable topic. The worst one was when Al Campanis, the Dodgers' former player and executive, was on with <clears throat> Sam Donaldson. No, it was Ted Koppel. That's what it was. Nightline, and uh, he goes, well, "How come you think there's no black managers?" He goes, "They they just don't have the mental capacity to be managers." It's like, oof. And Ted Koppel said, "Isn't that the same old thing we've been hearing for years?" What do you mean? He goes, "No, no, no. They just they don't have the uh, the mental." capacity, uh, to be like, yeah, you're fired. (laughs) Even in the eighties, it's like, dude, no, there's no way we can keep you after that. Um, but yeah, Jimmy, the Greek, he was at some dinner and he was like, yeah, they're like, why the, you know, there used to be this thing where he'd say like, well, you know, black athletes, they have an extra little muscle in their calf. So they're not human. No, they have the exact same muscles as everyone else. That was one of the old stupid things. But he goes, they take the big black guy and they'd mate him with the big black girl, and then you get a stronger slave, and then you take that big black guy and you mate him with, and then you get another strong slave, and then you get it, and it's like, oh, you're fired. I am? Yeah, can't say that. Rick, even you can't repeat what he said. I'm sorry. We have another hour together. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Bada.
20: USA News, I'm Corey Myers. The nation's employers added 187,000 jobs in August, evidence of a slowing but still resilient labor market despite the high interest rates the Federal Reserve has imposed. Last month's job growth marked an increase from July's revised gain of 157,000, but still pointed to a moderating pace of hiring compared with the sizzling gains of last year and earlier this year. Georgia will broadcast former President Trump's trial live online.
6: The judge presiding over the Georgia indictment of the former president ruled all of the court proceedings will be live-streamed on the court's YouTube channel following requests from media outlets to allow cameras in the courtroom. Trump pleaded not guilty in the case on Thursday. I'm Dave Collins.
20: Most of Hong Kong and other parts of southern China have ground to a near standstill as powerful typhoon Seola approaches. Many workers staying home today, students in various cities seeing the start of their school year postponed to next week. Trading on Hong Kong's stock market was suspended and about 460 flights were cancelled in the key regional business and travel hub. Pope Francis has arrived in Mongolia to encourage one of the world's smallest and newest Catholic communities. It's the first time a pope has visited the landlocked Asian country and comes at a time when the Vatican's relations with Mongolia's two powerful neighbors, Russia and China, are once again strained. Following a welcome ceremony... Pope Francis plans to rest for the remainder of the day today. His official program begins Saturday and lasts through Monday. This is USA News.
18: is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double. MediShare works too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE.
20: What would you do if you found a bag of money? Hopefully, not what this guy did.
21: A Connecticut man found out the hard way you can still be charged with a crime if you find a bag of money and no one's around. 51-year-old Robert Whittington said it felt like he won the lottery when he discovered a bag with nearly $5,000 in cash lying around in a parking lot. Three months later, he was charged with larceny. Trumbull police say the money bag was clearly marked and contained numerous documents inside identifying the rightful owner. Whittington says he saw none of that and has made a promise to appear in court on Tuesday. I'm Lance Pry.
20: A police report being filed against rapper 50 Cent after he allegedly threw a microphone into the crowd at his L.A. concert. TMZ reporting an L.A. radio host filed the report after she got hit in the head. It appears the rapper was frustrated after being handed several mics that didn't work before he threw the microphone for Winfrey and Dwayne, the rock Johnson announcing a new fund to help people affected by the Maui wildfires, The two celebrities have launched the People's Fund of Maui, which they say will give cash directly to those impacted areas. They've kicked off the campaign by donating $10 million. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration says it still plans to finalize rules that would prohibit the sale of menthol cigarettes in the coming months.
6: I'm Corey Myers, USA News.
0: internet for your home for 50 bucks a month that's less than two bucks a day plus no contracts no upfront costs no equipment fees and our 15-day guarantee call now 800-617-5145 800-617-5145 800-617-5145 that's 800-617-5145
15: rick tittle knows his sports
1: i hate that guy
2: Thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. one 800 You know, it's funny. Over the years, <clears throat> I've been working in this town for over 30 years. It's a small town. Everybody kind of knows everybody else. But uh, years ago, I used to interview this young beat writer named Grant Cohn. And he was working for the Santa Rosa Press Democrat because his dad, Lowell Cohn, I grew up reading, he and Glenn Dickey were the two San Francisco columnists, and they were always very incendiary. And then I used to do a TV show with Lowell Cohn, and uh, I got to know Lowell pretty well. And Lowell always said, I'm not a fan of the team, like Candido. He's like, I'm not a fan. I don't care who wins. And I always thought, it's boring enough going to an A's game when I want them to win. I couldn't imagine going to a game. (laughs) But anyway... I used to interview Grant on the radio, and, and I used to say, you know, Grant, you're pretty good. Did you ever think about getting into broadcasting? And whenever I say that, I said that yesterday to one of the comedians. These people say, oh, yeah, thanks. I said that to Grant. He's like, you really think so? I'm like, yeah. He goes, thank you very much for telling me that. I'm like, sure. And I go, no, you're good. And then I had him on again. I go, what would you think? You getting closer to getting into broadcasting? And I said, I think you can do radio. He's like, yeah, I, I think I'm going to try it. Well, now his whole shtick, and I give him credit because people talk about him, and you can you can get compelling any which way you want, right? But his whole thing now, and it has been for a few years, he has like a YouTube channel and it's to be like in, as incendiary as it possible, and as a 49ers beat writer, he says you have to be critical at all times, you don't praise, and he was very anti Garoppolo, and and it's just funny now. People are like, "Ah, oh, grad cone this, grad cone that." Oh, I hate him. I hate him. Like, you're talking about him, you know. And so it's just funny. He was just kind of this milk toast guy, and now he's like flexing muscles <laughs> and taking names. But good for him, man. He found his little niche, and he's uh, he's going with it. All right, 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call, 1-800-878-7529. We got Carmine Marino. We'll talk a little horses and the hoses. And we got Tim Flannery as well. Come on back.
0: Right now at Wendy's, when you buy either a Dave's Single, Spicy Chicken Sandwich, Medium Frosty, or 10-piece Nuggets, you can get another for just a buck. Your dollar never tasted so good. So it's obvious what everyone will get, right? Ooh, definitely nuggets and a Spicy Chicken Sandwich, Dave's Dave Single, Single, and a Frosty. Frosty for me. and a Frosty. Okay, who said Frosty and a Frosty? Pick
12: your obvious choice. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Buy one, get one for a buck. Limited time only. Price of participation may vary. The U.S. Wendy's valid for item of equal or lesser value cannot be combined in a combo or any other
1: offer.
0: that's 800-433-0539. Paid for by Fix My Student
3: Loans.
10: Coming up
2: next, Rick Tittle. Hey, thank you for that. Eleven twelve a.m. out here. This is the time we check in with one of our prognosticating friends. They do all the uh, analysis in the world of sports and ProWagering.com as well. Let's bring in our friend who does the ponies. It's Carmine Marino. Carmine, before we get started on this weekend, uh, you did pretty well last weekend, didn't you?
25: Oh, let me tell you right now. It was, Archangelo was, it was a blessing in disguise. I hit that super effect. I gave it out on the radio with you guys. I told you, you couldn't lose. I didn't think. I thought he was great and I hit the super. I got back over four thousand dollars on the way I made that bet.
2: That's awesome. So uh is that your was that your best day in the, in recent times? Hello? Did we lose Carmine? Yo, Carmine, the big ragu. We got <laughs> What would you consider a futures bet? What would I consider a futures bet? BDD. We're sorry. If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. Uh, 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 uh. We'll get him back here. Carmine. With all that money, you couldn't get a new phone. Rick? <laughs> Hello. I'm back. He's back. Let's take a look at Del Mar. Do you want to do that? Oh, this is a million dollar weekend. There's million dollar
25: races all over the country. I'm I love Del Mar this week. The Pacific Classic.
2: What I think is interesting is Gold Phoenix is favored uh, to win this race, and he he won it last year. I didn't know horses raced in the same race back to back years.
25: Gold Phoenix is not in the in the Pacific Classic.
2: Oh, I'm talking Del Mar uh, handicap.
25: Ah, okay, that's different. Okay, I mean, let me pull that up in front of me here so I don't look stupid. Um, you're right, what you just said, but Goldfin, you know, you know, horses for the course, and that's that's what it comes down to. And in this particular race, you're looking at a horse for the course. This again, Delmar, Saratoga are unique to certain features.
2: How about Planetario coming in at four to one? Maybe the second favorite.
25: If you get four to one, that would be a hell of a pli- that would be a hell of a price. Um, but, but you know, Berrios is having a great meet. I don't know if you know this. Between JJ Hernandez, Berrios, and Rispoli, and I, don't, uh, Rispoli I don't know if he'll be there for the last for this weekend because he got hurt yesterday. He got thrown off of a horse. Ooh. What I can tell you is between the three of them, they've won over fifty some percent, of, like fifty five percent of the turf racing at Del Mar this summer, and it's been amazing. Now, Planetario comes into this race at a, and ran, ran a decent fifth in the United Nations, getting by by therapist. but before that, he ran really, really well. When you look at the rest of the field, I mean, again, Gold Phoenix is, is coming into this race in shape. Three career starts at, at, this, this, at this track, two wins, but when you look at Planetario, I like this horse better, and Hector Berrios is having a great... Uh, resurgence as a jockey since he moved here from Florida.
2: Let's take a look at that uh, Pacific Classic you were talking about. There's three favorites there: Go Rocket Ride, Defunded, and Arabian Night. What about those three?
25: Save your money on Backford. He's not going to win the race. Uh, the horse, the one horse, Go Rocket Ride, ran. I had him actually in the um, the Haskell and he ran like he ran monster smithy michael smith just keeps doing his thing and at 60 years old the guy's amazing this horse was considered a derby prospect and didn't didn't work out but he is right now rounding into shape i like this horse and the, and the horse that i think has a shot to complete the exacta would be the 8 horse senior buscador hmm. and the other horse i like in this race would be um probably I'm going to take a shot and I might use slow down Andy hmm. part of the trifecta. They ran they area ran 1 and 2 in the um, San Diego handicap, but I think Go Rocket Ride will probably be a, a solid 2 to 1. If he, if you get more than 2 to 1, this is a great win place bet, but I really like um the 8 horse with him. I think the 8 horse is rounding into shape. Uh the San Diego handicap was a monster victory coming from way out, right from the stars. I'm not I'm not sold on Arabian Nights, Arabian Nights I was that keen when he broke his maiden last year, that was Breeder Cup weekend, and I thought this horse was going to be a gorilla, but the way he ran in the Haskell, which was very disappointing, I, that's why I think Go Rocket Ride is the now horse, very similar to Archangelo, and I think they're going to end up meeting in the Breeders Cup uh, championships in November.
2: Slowdown Andy is not a good name for a horse, but... Uh, don't judge a book by its cover how about saratoga longines breeder cup classic there's racing everywhere proxy two to one um looking at him uh in the number one position uh other than that tyson at uh, five to one uh this is only a um eight horse race what are you thinking
25: you hit the. I, I think Tyson's the now horse. This is a horse shipping in from Canada. Um, Josie Carroll is a solid trainer. He doesn't come south to, just for the for the hell of it. This is a horse that's only running synthetic, so this horse might be more for turf. But running really sound, winning four to five career races, ran third in the only race that he didn't win, which was solid. This is a horse that's coming together nicely. He's bred for the distance. I like him. the favorite will definitely be the one horse, I mean, excuse me, the four horse, Rattle and Roll, based upon his past performance. He's had a hell of a year um, bankrolling almost $700,000. Rattle and Roll is another horse that's going to lay off the pace, where I think Tyson will be laying second at tactical speed. Proxy, you don't know which proxy you're going to get. You really don't. Um, But this is a race where I think Tyson is the knockout punch.
2: Clapton, the number five horse, you think when the race starts it will lay down Sally?
25: You know what? Lay down Sally could be the exacta, but because he but he he ran a solid second to charge it in the suburban. Uh, again, I look at Clapton with Irad is as, as, a, as a horse that could be part of the number. If I were going to be betting this race as far as a trifecta, um, I would probably look at boxing the four, five, and the six, and I throw the one in the super. I think if you have those four numbers, uh, if it comes in five, six, six, five with the four and the one you might get 800 bucks on a $24 investment.
2: You know what they say on La Cosa Nostra, somebody's a good earner? What about rattle and roll? Already over a million and a half in career earnings, still racing.
25: Yes, and you know what? It's a four-year-old colt who's, who's been picking apart the older uh, denomination of horses, not the younger, and he, he's a closer. Brian Hernandez will be coming in for this race 0 for 3 right now at, at the distance. And it'll be interesting to see what goes on from here. But I, I really like um, Tyson. I really think Tyson is the horse to beat in this race. I really, really do. He he won his last two races were very impressive. But more so was the Seagram um, that he won his last race. He beat a horse by the name of Carruthers, who's been incredible on the turf, uh, the the poly turf, you know, the synthetic. I think Tyson could actually be a solid horse in this race. He may not. I, I think you'll get eight to one on this horse. I really do.
2: Is that the Tapita they call it?
25: Yes. Last and he's p- at, a tapit. no, tapita, <laughs> at a Tapita.
2: Tapita at a Tapita. Tapit Trice. Um, let me ask you this last question. Proxy, um, the Stidham horse with Rosario and the Silks. It's funny because I was reading about the horse and it said this is a stalker. It you know closes late, but then in the Monmouth Cup Grade Three, start to finish two and a half lengths the whole way. So sometimes. These horses, they surprise you like that?
25: Yeah, but that that was a terrible race. That was a weak grade three. And I have to tell you that um, even if you look at his numbers, the 96 buyer, not impressive. If you go to the race before that, which was the Stephen Foster down in um, Ellis Park, which was supposedly slated for Churchill, he, ran, he got crushed. Didn't even look good at all. So, I mean, I'm hard-pressed to bet a horse two to one right now on the morning line that hasn't really impressed against the top not top rated horses. Right now, the four horse would be the now horse based upon his past performance. Tyson is the unknown, and I like unknown because I, I mean, betting 9-5 is like kissing your sister, and who only wants to kiss your sister?
2: Uh, I don't. I never had a sister, so I really don't.
25: It's Carmine... i mean even better.
2: Carmine Marino, Pro ProAging, He's hot. Check out his picks. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Have a great weekend.
26: My pleasure,
2: you too. Alright, I'm Rick Siddle. We got some open lines. Come on back on Sports Bot
8: will
7: <laughs> I'm the to
0: pricing information. 800-915-9654. 800-915-9654. 800-915-9654. That's 800-915-9654.
4: Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so,
12: Der Anlass war vollkommen nichtig und ich selbst griff erst gar nicht ein, weil Kinski im Vergleich zu anderen Ausbrüchen eher milde wirkte. Mach deine
14: drink in that haterade, and bow down to Ricky T, y'all. All All
2: right, thank you for that. Uh, Former third base coach Tim Flannery will join us. He has a band called the Lunatic Fringe, and uh, they'll be at uh, Hot Monk, a place that I've been to many times in Novato. There's also one in uh, Sonoma uh, as well. one 800 a play Um, When I first saw that HBO show, The Franchise, they tried to make it, like uh, NFL films Hard Knocks and they were doing it for baseball. They did it with the Giants. They show Brandon Belt cry when he made the big team. And they did it with the Marlins and you got to see how crazy Jeffrey Loria was that owner of the Marlins and his art dealer international, he bought these like velvet posters of dogs buying, playing poker. It was ridiculous. But his son-in-law was this skinny weirdo who swore, said F-words like Ozzie Guillen, the manager, uh, in front of ladies, which I thought was lame. I've never been a big David Sampson fan until maybe today because David Sampson, who was before the Marlins president was the Expos president when Jeffrey Loria on that team. um, He says that the A's move to Vegas does not pass the smell test and <clears throat> the binding agreement for $380 million in Nevada state funding is just one of the long things on the list of the approvals that owners must uh, uh, approve. Samson said, when we say a binding agreement for a stadium, a binding agreement with who? There is a long runway between binding agreement and signed agreements to allow for the construction and operation of a new stadium. So just, yes, they need 75% approval, and they will get it. And, um, you know, Samson imagines those owners were going to have questions just because they're waiving the relocation uh, fee. And John Fisher broke his decades-long silence to assure the public there, and most likely the voting committee, that he's going to dig into his family money and actually spend on players and not give away Matt Olson and give away Sean Murphy and uh, guys like that. But <clears throat> on top of that, Sampson recalls Commissioner Rob Manfred and Bud Selig making clear the league's intentions to keep two teams in the Bay Area. And so the Nevada ballpark agreement doesn't mention the A's team name, which means MLB could change the name, Uh, which I'm completely against. I know uh, the mayor of Oakland wants to keep the name, and I don't want that because that means my team goes away forever. He said they prefer for the team to stay in Oakland, no matter what anybody has said publicly. Until I see the moving truck, I will not think that the team is moving to Vegas because it is such an important expansion market. And he's right in the fact that you could expand with a new team there and then keep a team in the sixth market. Small market, according to Billy Bean. <clears throat> yeah, no, Alaska. But the path to approval is tedious, and I still think it'll go down. But in Samson's eyes, Cavill is playing by the same playbook that he was using in Montreal and Miami, but maybe he's in too deep. Um... To repair any relationships with Oakland if things go awry because since the agreement with the Nevada legislators Cavill has of course stirred more tension just blamed the city blamed schnitzer steel uh, at Howard terminal he said we couldn't get the funding and mayor Sheng Tao said we did get the money Cavill said we had lawsuits that the city wouldn't join so these were all factors in pushing out the timeline, increasing the uncertainty about what was really achievable in Oakland. Well, in the matter of, matter of six years, Cavill went from potential Oakland hero, rooted in Oakland, treehouse, come on down, doors always open, especially on Tuesdays. <clears throat> now he's created a lot of roadblocks to extend the lease at the Coliseum, which is another reason why the Ace feel the need to bolt, even with a three-season gap, you know, and they were talking about maybe playing in San Francisco. I heard a radio host said, "Oh my gosh, the Ace fans would love that." And I was like, "Are you insane?" He goes, "No, they get to go to a better stadium." I'm like, are you insane? I would much rather watch a game at the Coliseum than at, at Oracle Park because at Oracle Park you can't move; it's so crowded. If you're on the third baseline, your seats face center field. You got to wrench your neck to look at home plate. Uh, does it have a nice scenery? Yeah, there's nowhere to park. The public transportation is this skinny little Muni train. Uh, it's a giant pain in the ass to go to a Giants game. That's why they're called the Giants, I think. But anyway, uh, Sampson said clearly. Cavill has now positioned himself to be very unpopular, which is what his job is. It's what my job was. I understand what he's doing. It's very, very quicksand approach. You think you're making progress, and then you're really sinking. But when you're in it, it's hard to see. Yeah, I get it. Because Sampson has been down this relocation road before. As I said, he was president of the Expos, the last MLB team to relocate. They were sold to Major League Baseball so they could relocate into a privately financed ballpark in D.C. And then he was president of the Marlins for 15 years and the primary voice behind threats to relocate when a new ballpark in Miami was hidden. those roadblocks, too. Remember, they were a pro-player stadium or the Dolphins played. So Samson saw himself become the villain in the decade between his arrival and the completion of now Lone Depot Park. (laughs) Is that what they call it? But that's the thing. His... Uh, not father-in-law, stepfather, Jeffrey Loria, pointed a finger at local uh, officials lately for slowing the progress, and then he he was saying, we're going to relocate to San Antonio, and you know, they won the World Series and finished last in attendance, and then slashed their payroll. Sounds very familiar, uh, doesn't it? Sampson said, I think, much too pu- I, th- I was much too publicly harsh on elected officials, no reason to do that, but I needed to explain to people why our payroll was low and why we were losing players and not signing guys. That was just me wanting not to be the sole focus of all the negativity. But Samson reiterated he never wanted to relocate. He just wanted to apply pressure. And the Giants did that when they said they were going to Tampa Bay. Well, actually, they actually were at the time. But, you know, the Expos had all the qualities of a team that really needed to locate. No one was going to the games. The Canadian dollar was leak uh, was weak. The uh, the team stopped making equalizing payments, which they used to do. They didn't have a competitive TV deal. They wanted a new ballpark. And Montreal said, we won't build you one. And then uh, Washington said, we'll build it. Samson said, if a new owner, the learners, would have to pay both buying the team and building the stadium and that would have an impact on the price, which would have an impact on the amount of money going to all these owners here. So since this parallel path to Vegas, the A's have built this narrative as the kids would say that the A's exhausted all options in Oakland. And that's the only thing they do uh, that they can do. And the rooted in Oakland battle cry and stilled hope that the A's were digging in for the long haul to keep their revenue sharing and, Now it's just, you know, completely um, soured. And the Port of Oakland, that little deal they had that was supposed to be renewed, and uh, uh, it wasn't. And so they're heading to Vegas. We know they will. And, um, you know, uh, Fisher has owned the team for 18 years and has never put any financial investment in it. Samson says it's all for show, saying, everybody says that that's why you want to do stadiums so you can have higher revenues so you can spend more money on payroll. We said that and it didn't work. And new stadiums are not the panacea they used to be. You don't just build a new stadium and draw 30,000 people again anymore. Well, I think we've seen that all over the place and we saw that with Pittsburgh. They have one of the more beautiful ballparks, PNC, right on the Allegheny there. The confluence of three rivers, right? And... You know, it's like, oh, when we get this ballpark, we're just going to throw tons of money into the team. <laughs> Are you? It doesn't make a, a whole, haul of a lot of sense when it comes to that. Uh, but anyway, I mean, look, somebody will see the article, What Samson Say, and, and have hope, right? And be like, oh my gosh, Samson says it doesn't pass, pass the smell test. Well, that doesn't mean they're staying. Now, does it? Now, let's get our hopes up all over again. All right, we'll have a helping of flan on the other side. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Byline.
17: Some published authors are making significant money, so join the ranks of the successful people that finish their books with help from Dorrance Publishing. Call right now, and our experienced editors and writers will explain to you what it's going to take to get your book completely written, published, and then taken to market to sell it. It's a free consultation, so call right now. Find out how much time and money it takes to finally get that book idea of yours published. Make your dreams happen. Call Doran's Publishing right now.
0: 800-485-6003. 800-485-6003. 800-485-6003. That's 800-485-6003. 800-211-6008 800-211-6008 That's 800-211-6008 It's a free call, so let us fix it for you. 855-325-5647. 855-325-5647. 855-325-5647. That's 855-325-5647.
2: All right, as the dulcet tones of our uh, next guest, Tim Flannery. Of course, uh, people out here in the uh, Bay know him as the uh, longtime third base Coast, uh, coach of the uh, Giants with uh, Bruce Bochy and did the same thing with the Padres and uh, played for the Padres uh, as well. Tim, uh, welcome to the show. Rick Tittle uh, here with you. And uh, you're going to be at HopMonk uh, this Sunday with the Lunatic Fringe. When did you find out that you could sing and play guitar? Was it? when you were a player or was it when you were like really young in high school?
27: I grew up in the music, Rick. I grew up in my family. My little brother sings opera in three languages. Everybody in my family is a songwriter. Uh, My uncle who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1960 hit a huge home run in Game 7. His name's Hal Smith. You can look him up. He also was a songwriter. So uh, it was in our family we did both. We never thought you had to make a decision. And anytime somebody says, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta make a choice," I say, "Well, you guys got to choose between water or air because I gotta have both of them." <laughs>
2: <laughs> you mentioned Uncle Howe. He was a great player for the Cardinals. He was a multiple uh, All Star as well. Did uh, what? What did you learn from him, baseball wise?
27: Oh, I learned almost everything. You know, one of the greatest things he did for me is when I signed a contract in nineteen seventy. Uh, 1978, I took off and w- went to Texas and was riding 20-hour bus rides and uh, living on 500 bucks a month, e- eating on six dollars a day. Man, we were having the time of our life playing pro ball all the way through the Texas League. But he wrote me a beautiful letter, saying that a handwritten letter that I carried most of my career. That when these trips get really hard. Uh, When the lights get terrible in the minor league parks, when people are complaining, that's when you have to shine. You've got to always find a positive way to shine through it all. And it really did come to fruition because you're out there in a 162-game schedule so many times. People uh, who are having bad years or bad times can easily drag down a few people. So he, he was a positive light. Uh, on the baseball field, uh, but also really wrote some really cool songs that I still think about, and, and every once in a while we'll we'll pick a little bit.
2: I remember in '84 uh, when I was in college, and the the Cubs—they were finally going to go to the World Series, and they were up. They, you know, back then, best of five, and they won the first two, and it's like they're we're getting it done, baby. And then you were part of that, almost like you know. Dave Roberts with the steal against the Yankees, you know, just slowly creeping back. And what was it like to break all them Cubby fans' hearts?
27: Well, they, got, they broke our hearts when we went to Chicago because we got steamrolled the first two games, and this was a best-of-five series. So we had our backs against the wall, and then when we flew back to San Diego, uh, we just somehow captured some magic and some momentum. And, and when you're in the playoffs, World Series, we always had a saying, you do not want to let the genie come out of the bottle for the other team because it's hard to stop. Uh, It happened in 84, it happened in 98, but then the Yankees beat us uh, in the World Series when we were coaching, me and Boach were in San Diego. And then the three times in San Francisco when we won those World Championships uh, with facing six elimination games one year, the jet. We we got the, the when we had momentum. We knew that you have to hold on to momentum because it will dance around with whoever holds it, and it was always like the, when the genie came out of the bottle. It was very difficult to get it back in, and I think other clubs found that out playing us.
2: You know, I, it's just funny. I just thought about when Lasorda went nuts on Kurt Bavakwa. Called him the fat little Italian, whatever, and he said, "When I was pitching, I would have sent a f and limo to pick up his lousy ass." And all, was <laughs> you guys had some pretty good. Yeah. And then you got Garvey too. I mean, that must have been interesting. That whole SoCal rivalry in the the old NL West there.
27: Yeah, it was it was a eighty. It was a different time. You know, the game was totally different. You you remember the eighty four fight against the Atlanta Braves and the Padres? We went all day long. at... You know, and some of the players today, they see the video because they play it in the clubhouse in Atlanta for the visiting clubs, uh, because it's nothing. Nothing has come close to it ever since. And uh, you know, there was. They always say, "Well, well wasn't there any warnings?" Because we threw. You know, they hit our Alan Wiggins but the first pitch of the game, and there was a history behind it all. But just to, to, to shorten the story a little bit. We, uh, Dick Williams, we, we were going to get that pitcher, and they threw at him like five times till they finally got him. And they go, well, wasn't there, and the players go, wasn't there any warnings? I go, yeah, we yelled, look out! That's about all the
7: warnings there was. <laughs>
2: Speaking with Tim Flannery, the Lunatic Fringe going to be at Hot Monk in Nevada on Sunday. I've been there many times. It's a great little venue. I remember hearing you interviewed about coaching third and they were asking you, well, you know, when you send a guy to second, you like send a guy to second. And you go, the runner's closer to the ball than me. I'm not doing any coaching for you until you pass second base. And you know, absolutely, I, yeah, I grew up ba- playing baseball through high school and everything. I'd never heard that approach, but you're absolutely right.
27: Well, you know, I would take them and, and, and in spring training and walk from base to base and just explain kind of what I'm thinking about. And if you're running from first to second and you don't know where the ball is, I said, now you've dragged me into this. Make sure you look at me so I can get us out of it. But when there's a ball hit out there and it's, you know, they're 100 feet closer to it than I was, uh, I always go with the Joey Amalfitano, the greatest third base coach ever, who was my teacher, he says that's when you hit him on the back and you say you're making twenty million, I'm making one hundred and fifty thousand. You make the
2: decision.
7: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's kind of a thankless job because I remember when I was covering the A's and uh, Tony DiFrancesco, you know, was doing well with the River Cats, so they make him the third base coach. And he basically was a stop sign with an A's helmet on it. I think he was a little timid. He wouldn't send anyone. And yet, I remember when they gave it to yeah. Mike. Mike Gallego. He sent everyone, and they were all out by fifty feet. I mean, it's just almost right, like it's uh, hard. yeah, it's it's you. You look so dumb, and it's sometimes it's not even your call. Some guys will run through stop signs too.
27: Well, absolutely. We always said if you line up nine coaches and said Who, who's going to coach third, eight of them are going to take a step back. <laughs> and I, I, you know, the great thing about managing in the minor leagues is you're a coaching third why you're managing the game. And I managed it at every level. So I learned a lot coaching third in Boise, Idaho, and Spokane, and all those places. Uh, you, you got to make a lot of mistakes. And then before San Francisco even saw me, I had 10 years of coaching down in San Diego. So mm-hmm. I was at my prime up there because I'd done it for so long. Uh, but I also had a great bunch of players that understood a little bit more uh, how it works and we also it was different because you know there, there was an eight there was a pitcher hitting and there was an eighth hitter hitting uh there was a seventh hitter hitting so that's when you would be super aggressive because they're going to walk the seventh and eighth hitters to get to the pitcher at least in the first five innings of the game before they start pinch hitting later on in the game so uh, now it's it's like You've got all these professional hitters, so you can be a little more conservative. Uh, but your team will tell you. Your, your team will tell you. And this the whole thing about the extra inning things, too. Now now they start a guy on second base to try to shorten up the extra innings. I knew Boats didn't have – we knew what, what the bullpen could do that night. We knew we could play an extra inning, a couple of them, but we knew we couldn't play five or six because it would affect us two or three games down the road that, that week. So, I would be a little more aggressive at times. I mean, all of that plays into it, and you could I could have conversations in depth of what i 've learned what i 've been taught uh, it 's fascinating it really is and i it 's one of the you know i've played ten years in the big league as a player, but I love coaching just as much as playing because it 's a thrill over there
2: now it 's really interesting. you think about like yeah thinking about like a chess player with the keeping the bullpen fresh and all that and you know you talk about Bruce coming out of retirement doing a great job with the Rangers very aggressive the way they've spent money and, and they look like a, a playoff team here did he uh, you know just after all the years at uh, Jack Murphy and then uh, up here did he ask you if you wanted to come over to Dallas with him?
27: I got a really weird text message around Christmas and he he, he knew that we were out uh, promoting and playing this our new record got recorded uh, nominated for a record of the year down in san diego we were playing a lot of great shows and really getting great feedback and he just said god i that that must be so great that must feel so great i really miss these playoffs and watching the world series and i just texted him back and said hey bro i'm real comfortable coaching from the couch i can't do it no more you know so uh (laughs) He, he, I can't believe he's still standing. It's really impressive. To, to, it's a long, long season. And even all the years I've done it, uh, I, I think about, wow, you know, the, you know, there's a little collateral damage that comes with it. It's a long year. It's a grinding year. And, and uh, it's great to be on this side of it, knowing that survived it. You know, marriages survived, families still intact. I mean, that's not always the case out there.
7: Yeah,
2: well, I mean, I look at when LaRusso went back to Chicago and, and he really couldn't relate to the players and he had some, you know, some of the unwritten rules had changed and there were some clashes there and, and, it, and it just didn't work out. I wasn't, I, I didn't think about that with, with Boach, though. He seems like that he was such a players manager and he's not a martinet like that. So, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, he just seems like the, the the perfect guy for them to have. Now, contrastly, I thought when Bob Melvin, who I got to know really well with the A's, I thought when he went to San Diego, yeah, I'm like, this is great. You You know, no offense to Jace Tingler, but now they got a real manager, and and it just hasn't worked out. They're the most unclutched team. They're 0-11 in extra innings. They've only won six one-run games. They just can't get a clutch hit.
27: Rick, they're they're dysfunctional, and I've talked to Bob. I've told Bob earlier, you're the only guy that can do this and just – he he is you know i'm not sure he gets along with a j preller uh, but i will tell you that club is so dysfunctional in the sense of i i say it's like four. i go the only band that had four front men were the Highwaymen. that they're the only ones that could pull it off <laughs> you've got four stars down there that really need to be supported by other type of players and really other leaders they're not really leaders and uh, they, they were claiming, and we have it on video, and it's all over the place, they were claiming the World Series in, 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 at Fan Appreciation Day. They, they hadn't even gone to spring training, and they were already preparing their World Series parade. And I always have a quote. I always told players there's two kinds of players, the humble one and the one about to become that.
7: Mm-hmm. And
27: I said that in an All-Star game in Arizona. We, we were the All-Star coaches. And something happened out in the field, and I said, I guess I said it out loud. I said, there's two kinds of players, the humble one and the one about to become that. And Joey Votto goes to me, where did you learn that? And I take my hat off, and I look at him, I go, I didn't just show up looking
7: like
2: this, dude. Too good. And uh, as you heard on the way in, and a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, these guys think they're musicians. He can sing. He can play. You can see him in person with the Lunatic Fringe at Hot Monk in Novato. Uh, This Sunday, the 3rd, it's all part of their 10th annual Cookout concert. Series. Tim, have a great time in Nevada, and thanks for coming on and talking a little ball with us.
27: Thanks a lot, fellas. Have a great day. Thank yeah.
2: you. All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. Come on back on Sports Byline.
10: Stop overpaying and call right now.
0: Paid for by Steel Man Pills. 800-965-1295. 800-965-1295. 800-965-1295. That's 800-965-1295. Has
11: someone in your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? Sell a home you can't afford or just don't want to get the cash you need today.
0: 800-788-1495. 800-788-1495. 800-788-1495. That's 800-788-1495.
19: If you're struggling to keep up with conversations, avoiding restaurants because you can't understand the waiter,
0: that's 800-278-1738
15: Well, I might as well tell you now. You lot may all be internationals and have won all the domestic honours there are to win under Don Revy. But as far as I'm concerned, the first thing you can do for me is to chuck all your medals and all your caps and all your pots and all your pans into the biggest flipping dustbin you can find. Because you've never won any of them fairly. You've done it all by blooming cheating!
14: Rick Tittle was selected at random from the phone book to host this show.
2: All right. By the way, in his new book, Blue Zones American Kitchen, bestselling author Dan Bootner has demonstrated that eating the Blue Zones can alleviate obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and more. With 100 tasty recipes from Pennsylvania Dutch apple dumplings to Southern Hoppin' John, Blue Zone American Kitchen will change your diet and your life. You can pick up your copy of the Blue Zones American Kitchen Cookbook today, available wherever books are sold. How about that? And by the way, the Americans beat Montenegro. Uh, By the way, you know, these are the things like unless (laughs) I don't care who we're playing in basketball. I say we as an American. It's not a headline. It's only a headline if we lose. I know that's not fun to be on a team like that, but that's just the way it is. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll see you Monday, or actually Monday's a holiday. We'll see you 9 a.m. Pacific time.
7: Yeah,
27: man, I hope we don't have brain
2: damage. <laughs> Great way to end the show.